Before I read tonight's sermon text from the Gospel of John, I wanted to uh, let you know if you have kids uh, three years old and older, you can meet Lisa Corrali. She'll be in the back. Uh, she can take your kids for their own lesson time if you so desire. You're also welcome to keep them in the service if you'd like as well. That's totally up to you, but she's there if you'd like uh, your kids to be taught their own lesson. So, uh, all right, with that, we're going to read from the Gospel of John, and then I'm going to let you take a seat, I promise. Uh, John 1, verses 1 through 5, and verses 11 through 16. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John, the Baptist, bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. End of reading. God, I pray that you would speak through these feeble lips to your people tonight, that you would inspire them, convict them, transform them by the power of your word. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> well, tonight we, uh, we start a brand new series here at Epiphany. Uh, we are going to be looking at the Apostles' Creed. Uh, for those of you who have grown up in the church or been a part of the church for any length of time, or if you've come to this church, then you know that you, you probably are familiar with the Apostles' Creed. Uh, but in case that's not you, let me just spell out a couple things about what it is. Uh, simply put, a creed is just a statement of, uh, of what we believe to be true about God. Uh, to give you a little historical background on the creed we're going to be looking at, the Apostles' Creed. Um, first of all, it wasn't actually written by the Apostles. Uh, so just get that out of the way right off the bat. It was, at least in a form very close to what we have now, uh, written very close to when the apostles lived. We, we have things that look very similar to it going back to the second century. But the reason it's called the Apostles' Creed is because the church has always seen it as lining up with what the apostles actually taught in the scriptures. Uh, if you look at the structure of the creed, which if you want to see an example of that, you can literally just look at the next page over from our sermon text on page uh, 7. Uh, you'll notice there's three sections to it. Uh, first, there's the section that talks about uh, the Father, then the Son, and then finally the Holy Spirit. So it, it speaks of the Trinity or the triunity of God. Uh, and last little fact about it, I mean, I could go on with all these little details, but uh, both Roman Catholics and Protestants of basically almost every variety historically have accepted this creed as being an accurate summation of what the Bible teaches about God. Uh, and yet it's very basic. Um, tonight, we are going to look at the very first article of the creed, 
And it's based on uh, the texts that we've read throughout the service. Specifically, uh, Genesis 1-1 is really kind of the, the capstone center verse. And of course, that verse just says, In the beginning, God created heaven and earth. Yeah, very, very simple. The creed states it this way. We believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. That's the whole first part of the creed. We believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And so as we ponder this statement, uh, I want to start at the end of the statement and work our way back to the beginning. Okay, so I want to start at the end, work our way back to the beginning. What we're going to see as we do that is we're going to see three things about God the Father. We're going to see, number one, God is creator. We're going to see, number two, God is almighty or all-powerful. And then finally, we're going to see God as Father. Okay, so first of all, let's get to it. God is creator. This seems to be the easiest part of our statement to get behind. I mean, it's just amazingly clear throughout Scripture that God is the creator of everything. Again, Genesis 1, very clear. In the beginning, the Lord made the heavens and the earth. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, which is in the New Testament, it backs up that statement. It says the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And the fact is, even without the scriptural statements about it, I mean, I could read tons more. It's, it's an evident doctrine in the scriptures. Um, the reality is, most people, at least according to polls, which I know we've had our confidence shaken in the old poll recently, but at least according to polls, I mean, I don't think they can be this far off. About 90% of Americans say they believe in God, and about 86% of people in the world say the same thing. Um, why is it that so many people believe that at least something or someone created this, created the universe? Well, I guess in one sense it's sort of intuitive. It's sort of intuitive. I mean, I, there's a reason that every culture throughout history has always had somewhere within their civilization to worship. And so some, as a matter of fact, some anthropologists would say that the thing that makes humans unique is they worship. Homo religiosus. We sense intuitively um, that since nearly all scientists believe now that the universe had a beginning, that there must have been something behind the beginning. Uh, when we hear about all the fine-tuning that needs to take place for us to even breathe, in this atmosphere to exist, that there's something behind this. I mean, the head of the Genome Project, Francis Collins, not a slouch by any means, says this, quote, the universe looks as if it knew we were coming. There are 15 constants, the gravitational constant, various constants about the strong and weak nuclear force, etc., that have precise values, if any one of those constants was off by even one part in a million, or in some cases by one part in a million million, the universe could not actually have come to the point where we see it. Matter would not have been able to coalesce, there would have been no galaxy, no stars, no planets, and no you, no people. 
And so we sense because the world, the universe is so finely tuned together, creating the perfect conditions for life, that there must be someone above. Or in our inherent thirst for justice as human beings, our inherent thirst for right and wrong, that, that our thirst for justice that fights to end racism or genocide or, or poverty, that these aren't mere preferences or just opinions, but they're actually good, that it truly is right, that they're moral. And so we think maybe, just maybe, there must be a divine lawgiver behind this moral intuition. Or maybe we just sense there's a creator because of beauty. I mean, even tonight. I'm sitting there listening to Jocelyn play on the violin and I'm going, the, yes, the beauty of this right now is evidence there's a God. I had an experience once when I was in my late teens, don't worry, I'm not going to get crazy or mystical on you, but I had an experience once. I was on a camping trip at Yosemite National Park, one of God's great beauties in this country. And one particular morning, I just, I woke up to the slightest hint of light peeking through a crack in the roof of my tent. It was super quiet, quiet enough that I could hear, I mean, literally, I could hear the subtle sounds of the forest all around me. I could hear squirrels walking on branches and tree limbs breaking, or not even limbs as much as just twigs, because the squirrel would be too much weight for the twig. I could hear birds seemingly harmonizing with each other's finely tuned whistles, and, and I slowly zip open my tent and there is just a massive field of grass covered in dew that looks like it's shining with diamonds. And right next to me, right in front of my tent, is a deer just quietly eating. And my first words out of my mouth instinctively were, thank you. Have you ever had a moment like that? I mean, have you ever had a moment where something in your life just makes you say, yes, yes, there has to be, there, there is. There, there's got to be a, a God above all this. Now, I mean, I could go on and on with evidences and hints of a creator. Uh, you get the picture. I mean, I, I could do this all day. And yet, as, as much as that's important, and it is, as much as it might tell you something about God, it really doesn't tell you much about him. The fact that God is a creator doesn't tell you much about him at all. I mean, by merely confessing he's creator, well, we can't... I mean, is he an alien? Uh, is, is he indifferent to us? How does he feel about us? To have merely a creator doesn't tell us much about him. And so that leads to the second part. Well, if, if he, he's not just creator, but he's almighty. The creed says that God is almighty, or another way of saying it is that he's all-powerful. And simply put, this means that all power rests in God. That there is nothing that happens that he is not lord over. How big is your God? I suppose some would just say, really big. Yes, really, really big. But... Instead of getting big, let's, let's, let's get small. 
Let's boil it down. In the creed, we are confessing that God did not merely create our planet. We do not confess that he merely created the sun and the moon for our planet. No, nor do we confess that God just created the millions of other stars and planets uh, that make up our solar system. Nor do we confess that he created just our galaxy. We don't even confess that God just created the estimated 100 billion, with a B, other galaxies in the observable universe. We don't even confess that God created the observable universe, which is estimated to be 93 billion light years across. We confess that God created everything that is seen and unseen everywhere for all time. We confess that God is almighty in such a way that he rules over every single piece of matter and antimatter in all of creation. That's what we're saying. Earlier we read from Psalm 8. I think David had a moment like I described I had when he wrote that psalm. I'm looking at the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, and I am in awe. I'm in awe at your almighty power. With your word, you're able to build this? Wow. Why does it matter for you, practically? Well, it matters in a huge way, because if this is the case, that God truly is all-powerful, then that means that whatever he promises he's going to do, well, he will indeed be able to do it. it. It means that every breath you take is ultimately given from him. It means that every heartbeat you have ultimately finds its source in him. And yet still, and yet still, even as we confess that he is creator of all things and that he is all-powerful, it still doesn't tell us anything about our relationship to him. I mean, it really doesn't. I mean, if we merely just confess that God is creator and that he's all-powerful, how do we know that he doesn't use his creative, all-powerful ways to endlessly torture us? I mean, it could be very bad news for us. I mean, the fact is, it's not as if we have maintained this place he's created really well. It's not as if we've treated this place with the greatest honor and respect, right? It's not as if we have obeyed his will for our lives, for most of our lives. I mean, the, the fact is, if he wanted to, if he's merely just creator and merely all-powerful, we're in trouble. And rightfully so, we're in trouble. And that's why we desperately need to hear our last point. In order for us to confess this creed, we need to say that we believe in God the Father. And now we get to relationship language. Now there's two senses in which that word Father is used in Scripture, and both are relevant here. The first use is sort of broad to say, like, he's the creator of everything. But there's a second use that is more specific, and that is to describe God the Father of Jesus Christ, his Son, and by extension, his intimate relation to all who believe in Jesus Christ, his Son. Now, I suspect for some of you, when you think of God as Father, depending on your experience with your own Father, that either reminds you of something good or when you hear God as Father, it reminds you of something bad. 
If your father was stern, then you can't help but think of God that way. If your father was distant or not around, you can't help but wonder if God is distant and uncaring. So to clear things up, I, I think I need to define what I mean when I use this term father when we confess he is our father. Martin Luther in his small catechism says it this way. When we confess this, we are saying that we believe God has made us and all creatures, that he has given us body and soul, eyes, ears, and all my limbs, my reason, and all my senses, and still preserves them. In addition, he gives us clothing and shoes, meat and drink, house and homestead, wife and children, fields, cattle, and all my goods, that he provides me richly and daily with all that I need to support this body and life, protects me from all danger, and guards me and preserves me from all evil. And this out of pure, fatherly, divine goodness and mercy, without any merit or worthiness in me at all. Do you hear that? To confess God as your father means that though he is all-powerful, so powerful that he can create the cosmos with a word, he chooses to deal with you by his mercy. He loves to give good gifts to his children, the scriptures say. And though, like a rebellious child, you have run from him, he still provides you daily with what you need that you might come to him and trust him for the good father he is. And that's where we get to the distinctly Christian portion of this creed. You see, it is possible for people of many, many, many other religions to confess that God is creator. It is also possible for people of many other religions to confess that God is powerful. But only Christians confess that this all-powerful creator is our merciful, loving Father. But how can this be? How can he love us like a father when we have rebelled against him? Because of the work of his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, in his perfect life, atoning death, and victorious resurrection. That is how. Because the Bible says that through faith in him, your sins and your rebellions have been wiped out by Jesus and covered so that he sees you as perfect sons and daughters in his sight. And you know what I believe deep down? I believe deep down each one of us desperately, desperately wants to have a perfectly loving I do. I've been a pastor for 10 years now, a little over 10 years. I have counseled so many people over that time in my office and private sessions. Do you know, do you know how much the issue of fatherhood comes up in my sessions? Do you know how often I hear people talk about their dad? For better or for worse? Do you know how many times I have heard people say, I just wish that my father told me he was proud of me. I just wish that once he was pleased with me. I wish that my father really did love me and I didn't feel like I was nothing but a complete and total failure to him. 
And they carry it around with them for their whole lives. It doesn't go away. It stays there. And here the God of the universe says, I am that Father. I am that Father. I am the one who will perfectly love you. I do perfectly love you. I am here. I am the Father you long for. There's a Spanish story of a father and son who had become estranged. The son ran away and the father set off to find him and he, and he searched for months and months to no avail. And finally, in a last desperate effort to find him, the father put an ad in a Madrid newspaper. And the ad read just like this, very simple. Dear Paco, meet me in front of this newspaper office at noon on Saturday. All is forgiven. I love you, your father. All is forgiven. I love you, your father. On Saturday, 800 Pacos showed up looking for forgiveness and love from their fathers. We hunger for it. We hunger for it, for a good and loving, truly merciful father who dotes over, who like really loves me, really likes me. He actually likes me. And what we confess in this creed is that through faith in Jesus Christ, we have him. We have him. Let me close. A while back, I was at my son's basketball game, uh, Jude and John, who were, uh, they, they were here. They're back in the children's ministry area now. Uh, they were, I think, eight and nine at the time. And uh, the game, I mean, I have watched a number of these games, and frankly, um, they're not always the most memorable things. Uh, there's a lot of bobbling around. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of turnovers. It's not exactly uh, Jordan uh, playing out there on the court. And so you just, you know, you, you cheer on your kids. But there's not a whole lot that sticks with you. And, um, but this was the final game of the year. And, uh, and though in this league they weren't actually playing for the championship, in my boys' minds, no matter how much this league said this isn't a championship game, it was a championship game. Like it just was. And so, game seven of the NBA Finals is here. And throughout the game, my son's team is behind. Now, not by much, but in games like this, uh, it doesn't take much. I'll tell you, it doesn't take much. Uh, and thankfully, thankfully, near the end of the game, our team had fought back and were just, we were one point behind with under a minute left. And the other team had the ball when suddenly the ball was stolen. And the kid who stole the ball was a kid that almost never was on the court the whole season. He was lanky. He was wearing big goggles. He just couldn't play. He didn't have, he didn't have the coordination. I mean, it, like, he was bouncing the ball, and it was going this high, and he was, I mean, it was, and, and everybody in the stands just sort of holding their breath, like, what is going to happen? Everybody on the other team is swiping at him, and somehow, as he's going down the court, he's still got the ball, and he hasn't traveled, and we're wondering how on earth this is happening. And then from just beyond the free throw line, he throws up the most awkward, Word shot I've ever seen in my life. It's just like, he goes like something like that, you know, like it was just the most awkward shot I've ever seen. And by the grace and mercy of God, the shot went in. And my son's team was ahead. And here's why I remember the game. Here's what I remember. As soon as the kid, as soon as the ball went in, the first place he looked was right next to me at his father. 
And his father was standing with... I can't explain to you how much joy this father had. I mean, this was... This was the moment. It was game seven of the NBA Finals right there for them. And the father was beaming with pride. And the son, oh my gosh, the look on his face. And I thought, that is the best illustration I've ever seen of how God the Father feels about me. And it's true for you. He loves you. And he beams over you. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you that I come to you by that title. Thank you that you've made that possible. Help us to believe it, to accept it. Thank you that you are the God who sends his son. You are the God who goes willingly to the cross in order to establish this perfect relationship for us. Thank you that you are the God who is present with us now by your spirit, empowering us, building faith in us, inspiring us, and leading us. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, we are about to go to the table and commune together.